Well, uh, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and it is uh, my joy and privilege to be able to open up God's Word uh, today. So uh, if, you, if you can, please open your Bibles. Mark uh, chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. Mark chapter 4. We'll be beginning in verse uh, 35. Before we do that, just a, a quick recap to, to remind ourselves where we are in the book of Mark. Uh, Jesus has called his disciples. He's charged them with the call to follow him. He has appointed the 12 disciples. He has performed miracles. Crowds have gathered. He has preached to the crowds, uh, primarily using parables. And then he pulls his disciples aside and teaches them in private about the parables. And the, the disciples have seen all of this going on. And as we approach uh, chapter 4, verse 35, he has just wrapped up a full day of preaching. A full day of preaching. Uh, and, and that's kind of where we dive in. So Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse uh, 35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the privilege of being able to read your word. We thank you for, um, for ministering to us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Oh God, uh, would you help us understand what this passage has for us today? Help us to understand as we see the disciples' journey, our own journey. Oh God, will you do that today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, fear is a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, we all experience fear. There are degrees to which some people uh, experience fear in their lives more than others, but uh, it's, a, it's a universal thing amongst all humanity, fear. In fact, it's one of the most researched things that, that people begin to look at regarding the human condition. And it's, it's one of the most popular uh, Concepts written on, particularly in self-help books, how to deal with fear. How do we deal with our fears? How do we overcome our fears? How do we continue to succeed even in the midst of fear? Uh, you can find just about any book you want written on this subject. Fear is a very real thing. Sometimes it, it's, it's gripping. In our souls, we can feel it. Sometimes it's, 
anxiousness. There's a broad range of fear that we experience, um, and everybody tries to figure out how to handle it and be able to move forward in, in the experiences of life. And I submit to you that faith and fear are intimately connected. Sometimes there's an inverse relationship between faith and fear, and other times uh, they're connected where as fear goes up, so does faith. And that's, that's really interesting. And I, I hope you see that in this passage today. I hope, I hope we see that. Think about the journey of the disciples in, in this passage, where they currently are, having seen all these miracles, having heard the teaching. And also think about where they're going, if you're familiar with the book of Mark. And as you think about those things today, think about your own journey. Where are you in your understanding of Jesus? How does your understanding of God affect the way you live your life now, especially in the midst of fear? These are going to be important concepts and important questions that I want you to ask yourselves today and throughout the rest of the week. The question that we're going to... uh, answer today is not necessarily how do we get rid of fear or how do we uh, get to a point so that Jesus can save us from uh, any impending uh, calamity that may befall us. No, the question in the passage really is who is Jesus and how do the disciples understand who he is? And that directly impacts their faith. So let's start looking at this. Let's start looking at it. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was in other boats with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. Literally, it's a, a, a strong storm of wind. A strong storm of wind. The word here is, uh, that's used is megale. It's where we get our word mega from. So it's a, it's a mega storm of wind. That's what's, that's what's showing up here. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now, um, I have a boat. I'm not a super experienced sailor. But if I was in the middle of a storm and waves were crashing over, I would be scared. There, there is an appropriateness to a response of fear in that moment. Okay? The question, though, is how the disciples responded with that fear. Okay? That's the really important question here. And for those of you that don't know, uh, this type of boat, it's not, uh, you know, it, it's not like a little dinghy, a little rowboat kind of a thing, but it's not a big cruise ship either. Okay? Somewhere in between that. It probably fit, you know... Um, 20 people maybe. Um, So it wasn't that uh, the disciples were on the outside experiencing the waves and the ruckus, but Jesus was on the inside and didn't know what was happening, okay? Like the boat is small enough to where any amount of, you know, massive wind and storm, everyone on the ship would know, right? Okay. 
that's that, that's important to understand if, if you know if you're unfamiliar with uh, the type of ships that were around at that time. So the boat's already filling up, and then it says Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Now, already we see some interesting things. Jesus is asleep, and they respond to him as, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What do we see? Well, uh, the fact that Jesus is sleeping, some people have suggested uh, that, you know, it it can parallel, um, it parallels certain things, but probably the, the, the best thing to point to why Jesus is sleeping is it's a divine prerogative of rest. That's what's happening. In other words, uh, throughout, throughout the Old Testament, there, there's language of uh, people calling out to God, uh, awake, O Lord, and, and help us, that type of language. And there's this idea that God can rest even during difficult times. God can rest. We see the, uh, we see the mandate for rest. Um, there is a link to trusting in God that leads to rest. Of course, we know uh, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, has that divine rest. It's it's not a careless rest. It's not the idea that he is um, indifferent to the sufferings that may happen around him, but he is able to rest, even in the midst of storms. Some people have suggested that this is uh, pointing to his humanity because he just preached a long day and uh, even in the little experience that I have in preaching, I am often very tired when I'm done. So there is some truth to that, but Mark doesn't point that out. And so it would be wrong of us to, to assume it or infer it. We, we, have, we have to see what the text says and the text doesn't exactly tell us But what we do know is that this passage deals with trusting God in the middle of difficult circumstances. And if Jesus can't be a picture of one who trusts God, being God himself incarnate. Then I don't know. So I think that's what's happening here. Jesus is resting because it is his divine prerogative to rest. And look at the disciples and their response. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're, they call Jesus teacher, and that's not a wrong way to, uh, to refer to Jesus. He is a teacher. They call him rabbi. But what it does show is that they're not fully understanding all of who Christ is. And the same is true in our own lives. When we uh, think of Jesus and we think of God, we typically think of uh, only certain aspects at a time. And as we grow in our faith and we, and we see a bigger picture of who God is, we begin to learn more and more about who God really is and how he helps us. Uh, for example, uh, we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We know that because we read that in the scriptures. 
We know that he was raised on the third day. But sometimes we forget that he is currently at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. When you pray to God, it's, it's not the first time God hears your name. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. As you learn more about the person of Jesus and you learn more about God, I think your faith really begins to grow and expand. And I think that's what we're seeing here with the disciples. They're, they know there's something unique about Jesus. They've seen the miracles. They say that, uh, uh, they comment on his teaching, right? But they refer to him as teacher. And later on in Mark, they begin to refer to him differently. But we're not there yet. I think in the middle of difficult times for us too, we can make the same mistake that the disciples make. We see only a slim down version of God. We think only in skewed ways about him. And sometimes we can feel like he just doesn't care about us. Well, this passage should remind us that God does care. Our own perspective of, of God either uh, resting or being active in our own lives can skew the way we think about him. And we can't make the same mistake that the disciples made. Look at what Jesus does when he awakes. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. Hush, be still. Now, that's, that's an accurate wooden translation for those words, hush, be still. But uh, th there's a force in those words that doesn't quite come across with this translation. Now, it is possible, okay, that may maybe Jesus stood up and said, hush, be still, you know. And it was all like calm and then, and then everything calmed down. Maybe. But the force of the words are something a little bit more like, Shut your mouth. Be quiet. Okay? Like, that, that, is, that is actually the force of these words. In fact, it, it's really interesting. The same words, the same type of language is used when Jesus performs exorcism earlier in the book of Mark. And the same language is used just in the next chapter, or in, in the next chapter, in the next passage that we're about to go into next week. It's as though Jesus is presented with a demonic force of, of storm and wind, and with a word, he silences it. That's the picture here. And it says, uh, and the wind died down, and it became a perfect calm. That there is, is our word megale again. It became a mega calm. Super calm. Super calm. It's amazing, isn't it? When I read this, uh, the irony is not lost that the experienced fishermen are the ones super concerned about what's going on, and it's the carpenter who's asleep and with a word silences the storm. That's the picture here. It's important for us to see that. Hush, be still, be quiet. And there's a mega calm.
I love that. And then he turns to the, to the disciples. And he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Have you not been with me this whole time? Have you not seen what I have done? Have you not listened to my words? Do you not believe what I am telling you? In fact, uh, as was just pointed out to me uh, in the break, Jesus tells them in the beginning, let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. He tells them they're going to the other side, and yet they think they're perishing. It's amazing what the Word of God tells us, and yet sometimes we don't listen or we forget. Mm. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Okay, now we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of digging here, and this is important for us uh, because fear is such a broad uh, concept. These words are actually more specific than just fear, okay? This word here uh, in verse 40, why are you still afraid? It's the word delos, and it is only used, only in the New Testament in a negative way. It's only a negative. Everywhere it's used, it's a negative. And in fact, what it, it has this sense of cowardice, or timidity. In other words, he's saying, why are you such cowards? Why are you such cowards? And then he links this cowardice to their faith. You still have no faith? Why are you a coward? And, and when I say the sense of the word there is negative, um, you guys understand like how this works, how language works, and, and how words work. Um, you know, there was a time when the word bad meant bad, right? The sense of the word, if you use the word bad, it was bad. And then something happened, and now the word bad can mean good. You guys, you guys understand this, right? Like, oh, man, that was bad, you know? And even now I'm saying that, you guys are laughing at me, that's probably appropriate because that's probably not even the right use of the word anymore. I don't know what kids are currently saying these days. But the point is this, words can, can change and they have different senses throughout time. They're used in different ways. And at this time, that word is only ever seen as a negative use. That's important. Because why are you afraid? Why are you cow cowardly? That's, that's negative. And then it says, uh, they became very much afraid. So, so remember the picture. Mega storm of wind. Jesus gets up. Be quiet. Mega calm. He turns to his disciples. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples become very much afraid. And then they said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now that last line is really important because in the scriptures, uh, in the Old Testament, remember these are, these are uh, good uh, Jewish men. They, they would know the Old Testament. 
And the idea of wind and waves obeying someone is only ever ascribed to God. That is the power of God manifest in Jesus. And they see it. And they are scared. They fear. But the interesting thing is, this is not the same word for fear as in the previous verse. They become very much afraid in verse 41. That word is phobeo. It's where we get our word phobia. That word is not only used in a negative way. It's also used in positive ways. That word yes can, can mean fear, fear for your life, fear for circumstances, uh, but it can also mean reverence, awe. That word carries both ideas. And I submit to you today that both of those responses at the same time is an appropriate response when you begin to see who God is. When you begin to see who God is. I think there's a problem in modern Christianity because we see the, the love of God preached faithfully. We see the mercy of God preached faithfully. The grace of God preached faithfully. And rightfully so. But we begin to think that uh, when the Bible says to fear God, it means only to revere God, only to be struck with awe about who God is, because after all, he's just our buddy. He's our pal. And there's this thought that, uh, you know, Jesus is my bro. I'm just going to hang out with him, you know, watch some TV. He's going to sit next to me on the couch. Or he's going to be in the passenger seat of my car, and I'm going to talk with him and now, I don't mean to take away the importance of being able to feel comfortable to approach Jesus. I often pray when I'm driving. I keep my eyes open, just so you guys know. But there is a very realness to the idea that Jesus is present with us and that we should be able to talk to him about anything. But if you have this idea that he's just your pal, then you have a truncated view of who God is. The magnitude of who God is, His power, His glory, His holiness should cause you a little bit of fear. Why do I say that? Because we see it in Scripture over and over again when people catch just a glimpse of His glory. They fear. We're going to turn to one of my favorite passages. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6 back in the Old Testament. We'll only be there for a little bit. Yes, I said one of my favorite passages. And I'm sure somebody's going to make fun of me for saying that because I say it all the time. But it is one of my favorites. It is one of my favorites. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah receives his vision of God in heaven. It's recorded like this. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe there is, is speaking about his glory, his majesty. The bigness of that 
filled the temple. This is what Isaiah saw. And there were angels surrounded him, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And what is Isaiah's response? If you're a good Bible student, you know Isaiah's response to seeing the manifest power of God, his glory, his majesty, was, oh, that's God, yeah. Hey, bro, you're my buddy. That is not Isaiah's response. Look at it, verse 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, when you are glimpsing God's glory and His holiness and His power, you can only see that you are You are not worthy of that. It shows you that you are not worthy. And it is a grace that God gives us his presence still. I know, wow. (laughs) I agree. The manifest glory and power of God on display in the person of Jesus Christ right before the disciples, even though they had seen it and they've been taught, causes them to fear. And yes, I think it is both a fear of the power of God on display and reverence and awe. Who is this person? Who is he? In our own walks, don't lose that. Don't lose that. Hold on to it. Yes, approach the throne of God boldly. Go to Jesus with all of your cares and your worries. Don't be afraid to go to God when you have questions, when you don't understand things. But don't forget who He is and His power and His glory and His holiness. Amen? Amen. Let's turn back to to Mark. As you turn there, I I, I want you to think. When, When you begin to think of fear in the Bible, what's the most thing common thing that pops up? The most common phrase in the Bible is fear not. Or do not be afraid. And I said that last service, and I also said that I think it's the most common, but I didn't quite study it, so I'm not sure. I was fact-checked. Somebody looked it up, and it is the most common phrase in the Bible. Fear not, or do not be afraid. Why? Because uh, when uh, an angel comes to a person, or God reveals something about himself I think it's an appropriate response. It will cause fear. It will cause fear. And the disciples messed up because they feared the wind and the waves more than the Messiah who was in their boat. 
That's what we see here in this passage, that there is a journey of understanding who Jesus is. And each step that these disciples take on their journey grows their faith. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. And I'm convinced that a truncated view of God causes a truncated faith in God. A truncated view in God, of God causes a truncated view of faith in God. What do I mean by that? If you, if you only have so much of a view of God, your faith is going to be limited. That's, that's just how it works. If we think of God only in certain ways, then, then we respond in faith only in those ways. And that's why when we, when we think about God and we grow in our faith with God, we need to continue to expand who he is. And it's going to take a lifetime. In fact, it's probably going to take eternity. Why do I say that? God is infinite, is he not? And he's given us his word, and yet we, we try to understand it and fit it into our finite minds. And then when, when, we, when we grasp something and we get excited about it, we go to tell people. And so now we're trying to process an infinite God, put him into our finite minds, come up with words to describe him, and then communicate that to other finite minds. Honestly, my brain hurts just thinking about all that. But the truth is that, that that's what's going on. And the more we learn about God, who, who he is, the more our faith will grow. There's this idea that um, that having faith means, uh, you know, nothing bad affects you. And it's this false sense of numbness that I hope to dispel here. See, um, the idea is not to to flippantly say, oh, it's fine, God will handle it when difficult things happen in your life. That's not faith necessarily. Now, there are, I have met some people that can say, oh, it's fine, God can handle it, and they really do mean it, and they believe it. But if you are someone that, uh, that says that, and it's just a way for you to just shove your problems to the side and kind of forget about them and overlook them, there's a real danger in that. You're not really trusting God with your problems, you're ignoring problems. And that's also not helpful. But to trust God with your problems in the midst of difficult times is to actually recognize those problems. Fear is not something that we should just uh, sweep under the rug and say, God's got it. In fact, uh, fear is uh, the beginning of wisdom, we're told. In Proverbs 9, uh, and several other places actually as well, Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There is something very real about how interconnected fear is with our faith. 
But you have to ask yourself, what am I fearing? That's an important part of growing. Because we should fear God and not just the circumstances of our lives. Um, there's this uh, story that I don't, I, I don't know if it's a true story, but this painting does exist. I have seen a picture of it. Uh, the name of the painting, I believe, is True Peace. But as the story goes, uh, there was a contest, and uh, artists were invited to partake in the contest, and, and the, the idea was to capture a picture of peace. And so there were paintings uh, of tranquil nature, you know, a babbling brook, a still lake, calm skies. But they didn't win the contest. The painting that won uh, is called True Peace, and it's this picture of Cloudy skies, lightning, a sea that looks like it can't be tamed, with massive waves, wind, the waves crashing into the cliffside. But in the middle of the picture, if you look really closely, you actually see a, a nest and a little, a little bird with her babies nestled up in the cliffside. And with all of that stuff that's going on, the waves are hitting the cliff, but it's, it's angled in such a way that it's just going around these birds. And as the story goes, that's the painting that won this contest. See, we talk about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We talk about faith in, in difficult circumstances. We talk about how fear is connected to faith. That is a picture of life, that painting. The the journey with Jesus is not just all going to be, you know, butterflies and flowers. There will be suffering. There will be difficulty. There will be natural calamity that will befall us. But the picture of those birds resting in their nest is also a picture of what our faith should produce. A trust in God. The God who can calm storms with a word. The point of this passage is not to, to teach you that uh, you just need to call upon Jesus and, and he will uh, fix everything. Or that he will um, make it so that there are no storms in your life. That's, that's not what this passage is really about. This passage is driving to the point of who Jesus is and the disciples' journey of learning that 
And when we read it, it's meant to do the same thing for us. It's meant to invoke questions of, who is Jesus? Who is this? Do I understand who he is? Am I able to find rest in difficult times? Because I trust him. That's what's supposed to happen here. You know, um, reading the book of Mark and, and how it pictures the journey of discipleship, it, it helps us to trust in a Savior who doesn't, um, doesn't just deliver us from storms, but is with us through storms. Jesus is there with them every step of the way. And, and that's a really important aspect that Mark sets it up as uh, a following behind Jesus. Jesus gets in the boat. The disciples get in the boat. Are you going to be someone that only chooses to follow Jesus if the, if the skies are clear and the water's calm? Or do you get in the boat? Come what may. Do you place your faith in who he is, the power and the authority that he has, and choose to follow him? That's this picture here. The emphasis is not on how Jesus rescues them. It is on who he is. Who Jesus is. There's a... I know probably many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is. Um, she was a, she was taken captive and, and held in a uh, Nazi concentration camp, and uh, uh, she became a Christian in her life. And she's written a lot of uh, Christian writing and uh, gone on to speak uh, all over the place. Um, and her writing is really phenomenal. But there is there is one line that just continues to stand out to me. Um, and she said, uh, never, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. There are going to be things that are difficult that you don't know about yet. And some of you might be experiencing them now, but there are other things as well. And sometimes that is scary. But the fact that you can know God and God knows your whole future should give you confidence to, to go to him. The idea here is that fear and faith are, are interlinked. And the wrong kind of fear, that cowardice that the disciples showed, showed that they had a truncated view of who Jesus was. That fear was high because their faith in who he is was low. But as they begin to understand, a different fear arose. Not a fear in the, in the storm and the waves, 
but a fear in the power and the glory of God that was on display before them and a reverence and awe of who God is. That is the fear that needs to increase as our faith increases. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. God, I, I ask that you would help us see in these passages that uh, the disciples aren't perfect. They make so many mistakes, and that should give us courage. That should give us comfort. Because we're going to make mistakes. But God, I, I hope that we see that uh, even in their mistakes and in ours, you are faithful and gracious. And that by reading your word, we, we get a bigger picture of who you are. That you, you can help grow our faith. That we would come to know you more. And we would begin to trust you in all the storms of our life. That we wouldn't react in cowardice. That we wouldn't avoid difficult situations just because we're fearful. But that we would fear you more. Because we know more and more who you are. Oh God, will you do that for us? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.